Hello and welcome to Human Voices, a podcast exploring stories from artists and filmmakers who are creating socially aware and relevant art. I'm Sean Kaufman, and I'm your host of today's episode. Today, we are joined by Katie Bell, a filmmaker whose directorial debut, Rural Revival, will have its U.S. premiere at the 2022 North Dakota Environmental Rights Film Festival. The documentary short dives into the life and work of Will Harris, owner of White Oak Pastures in Bluffton, Georgia, and documents Will's efforts to change his conventional cattle farm to a regenerative operation that helps mitigate climate change. Well, Katie, it is so good to have you here with us today on Human Voices. Thank you so much for being a part of the conversation and for being a part of the North Dakota Environmental Rights Film Festival. It's great to have you. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's an honor. Where are you calling in from today? I am from uh, right now Columbus, Georgia. Um, so Southwest, right near Alabama. I have family down in the Georgia area. It's a, it's a wonderful state and I'm not one who's partial to the humidity, but I can appreciate the landscape and the trees uh, when I'm there. And then uh, yeah. uh, I'm very happy to leave and come back to North Dakota. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. It's hot. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, before we start talking about your film, uh, Rural Revival, I would like to talk about your connection to agriculture and film. So where did your passion for filmmaking and environmental rights come from? Yeah. So I, I don't think I had a passion for environmental rights until really recently, I guess in the past few years, but I grew up on a farm. Uh, My dad's a farmer. He still is. Um, He's 68, still hasn't retired. (laughs) Um, I came from a super small town and just kind of was always in a rural Georgia area. Um, So I've always been connected to farming and, you know, that whole lifestyle and industrial farm, but uh, farming nonetheless. You know, growing up, I wasn't really super hands-on in farming. You know, I can't, I couldn't drive a tractor when I was little, but, um, you know, I always saw, you know, how hard my dad was working. I was always looking up to that. But I guess how I got into filmmaking, um, I wasn't one of those people that made films growing up. I was just kind of going through the paces, but I feel like it clicked when I was probably in like seventh grade. I realized that, you know, people, I had like an epiphany that these people in these movies, you know, they're, they're not real. Um, They're acting. And I actually got my start in front of the camera. I started acting. I took acting classes. I would go to Savannah um, and do that. And I, you know, pursued that first. I thought that I wanted to be an actor for a really long time. I, you know, went to New York. I had an agent. I've been in a few films. And through that, I discovered the Savannah College of Art and Design in Savannah and the film program there. Students always needed actors. So I was in student films acting throughout high school. And I kind of saw, oh, like, you know, these crews are doing these really cool things. And, you know, maybe I'll try that out. And I kind of discovered cameras and I really like, you know, taking photos and being behind the camera and making those decisions. And that's kind of where I found a passion of just wanting to tell a story. Long story short, I made it to SCAD and pursued a film degree and kind of made it all work out. And, you know, the pandemic hit and we all had to go home 
And I was kind of put back into a farming atmosphere again. And, you know, we started a garden and I just kind of realized this is what makes me really happy and is fulfilling. Sounds like you made your start actually in some ways in narrative film. Yeah. So how did you how did you jump from narrative to documentary? Yeah, I for a very long time I thought that I wanted to be a cinematographer. I wanted to tell narrative stories and I kind of got burnt out with film. I thought, you know, maybe maybe this life isn't for me, you know, I wasn't really liking, you know, that narrative atmosphere with like crews and schedules and all that good stuff. Um, and then uh, the pandemic hit, actually, and everything kind of stopped. And that kind of made everyone take a step back and question what we're all doing. But through that, going home and kind of just, I guess, relaxing, I guess, actually before that, before the pandemic, actually, that January and February, I was in, I was in a documentary class for school. Um, that everyone has to take. And I was really excited about it. My professor worked for National Geographic, actually. So I was really excited to kind of see, like at that point, I was pretty burnt out. And I was like, okay, maybe documentary would be fun. Maybe like being outside, being in nature. And we actually had to do a film for class. And we had to pitch our ideas. And I was like, oh, I saw, you know, this farm, White Oak Pastures on Facebook, actually. And I was like, I'll pitch that, you know, I probably won't get chosen, but I actually, I did get chosen of all things. And we ended up making our first eight minute rough cut of the film, unbeknownst to me at the time. But yeah, really doing that and kind of seeing how I could combine, you know, something that I cared about, you know, farming and film, which is also something that, you know, I didn't want to give up really kind of reignited this passion. Hearing you talk is reminding me of something I saw in your bio, which is this term farmtographer, yeah. <laughs> which, I, which I, I had never heard it before, but hearing you talk about how your passion was reignited makes sense now. Yeah, that's that's really when it all started. Um, I'm, real, I'm a person of few words sometimes, and I kind of I keep it simple, but like people are like, oh, what do you want to do? Like when you graduate and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, I don't know, but I really like farming and I, I care about the environment. And that's something that kind of lights a fire under me. And then I also really like, you know, my, I guess my more artistic side is also fulfilled by taking photos and videos and, you know, showing other people kind of how I see the world. And I feel like that's a good way to show people, you know, why we need to protect, you know, our planet and all these living things around us, because people see something and they're like, oh, that's a, that's a beautiful photograph. And it's like, well, yeah, you know, there's so many things that sometimes go unseen or people forget about. So you're in class, you're, you basically have a pitch session, you've identified uh, white oak pastors as a potential story. I, I'm curious about that relationship. Was it simply you seeing something interesting online, or did you have a relationship with Will initially? How did how did the project develop? Yeah, so I had never heard of white oak pastures before. Um, I had seen someone shared something on Facebook of all things of this radical farm in in Georgia. And at the time, actually, I thought that Bluffton was 
South Carolina because being in Savannah, Bluffton's only like 30 minutes away. And I was like, how had I never heard of this? Turns out it's Bluffton, Georgia uh, on the other side of the state. <laughs> but I, I've been so lucky with this process because I had never met these people. I'd never met Will had no connection to them whatsoever, but I just sent an email one day and I was like, hi, like, this is who I am. I've seen, you know, obviously like these big, like CNN and Forbes have all done things on you. So, you know, you must, you know, like to share your story. Um, I'm just a little college kid making a film. Would it be okay if we came out and, you know, asked you some questions and filmed around the property and they were, so welcoming and they were like we'd love to have you and that you know what's now a friendship kind of grew from them just being completely open and honest and absolutely the most welcoming and you know they were okay with whatever we wanted to do they wanted to help us out um because they believe in what they do and i did too and i think you know they saw that but yeah it just grew from there i'll never forget going there for the first time for just a location scout. And I, you know, we were looking for Will. I had sent him a message and he hadn't responded at the time. And I was like, all right, we're going, you know, we're making the four hour drive. <laughs> and we showed up at the general store and, you know, he's there in all of his glory wearing his signature cowboy hat. And he, he bought us lunch and it just kind of went from there. We had lunch together and now here we are. <laughs> Will seems like such a an interesting person. And there's a line in a film that I loved uh, that he said, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it directly here. His quote is, accepting the impacts of climate change, and I'm paraphrasing this part, but to accepting the, the impacts of climate change to save 30% on food cost is like pissing in your pants to stay warm. It feels good for a minute. <laughs> it was just, I loved that quote. Uh, you're having lunch with it. What was it like to meet Will for the first time? It, yeah, it was kind of like that. Will is, Will is Will. He doesn't, you know, put on a show. And I actually, I love that quote so much. And I'm so glad that we actually captured it on camera because we were actually changing batteries at the time on, we had a two camera setup and we were changing batteries on one and we were just talking, just me and Will. And that came up and I had told um, my DP, Sam, to just keep recording. Just, you know, you never know. And we got that. But, you know, the first time meeting him, it was, it honestly felt like I had known him for a really long time. I don't know if it's just kind of like a farmer culture, you know, he reminded me of my dad um, and Southern hospitality, you know, everyone's always friendly and yeah, he reminded me of my dad and he was super friendly. And honestly, it, it was just kind of a natural connection. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, it was one of those things. It's like, you can't, you couldn't make that happen. It just kind of, it kind of did. He seems very genuine and he seems very concerned about sustainability and the maintenance, not only of, of his family legacy, uh, but also of the, the environment and the land and the animals that all are part of that legacy. And I, I really appreciated a lot of what he had to say throughout the film. And at this point, you know, we, we've really jumped deep into the conversation. Let's back up a little bit and say, you know, what is, what is rural revival? What is your film about? And uh, what is the story that you're telling in this documentary short? Yeah. So rural revival is 
covering the farm White Oak Pastures in Bluffton, Georgia, and how they are a 10 species farm. They are a regenerative farm and regenerative kind of is kind of a buzzword, I feel like nowadays. But basically what they do is they sequester carbon back into the soil through rotational grazing and just better animal practices. And, you know, I guess your traditional like organic farming. Um, a lot of people, I feel like get confused by the word organic, but that's a whole, that's a whole nother rabbit hole. I won't go down. <laughs> <laughs> Good. But basically we cover just their whole operation and how, you know, what they're doing. They're successful at what they're doing. And a lot of people probably don't know how they are when they're not, you know, some big industrialized commoditized operation. And basically we're just trying to, I guess we're just trying to tell their story of how they went from an industrial farm to a regenerative one and how they're successful and how it works and how, you know, they're not going to save the world, but they can showcase, you know, other practices for other farms. I thought the opening quote uh, for the film was really impactful too, which basically is summarized in White Oak Pastors is really the, the answer to climate change. And I'm curious, when we talk about what they're doing specifically, what is it that they're doing that marks that distinction between a regenerative farm and traditional industrial farm? What was it that captured your your interest in, to tell the story? Yeah. So I remember, you know, from the original Facebook post, um, it was a video on White Oak Pastures. And what caught my attention was, you know, there's this myth that cows are bad for the environment and that they are, they're harming the planet and they're the reason for global warming and yada, yada, yada. Um, and that's what, you know, I thought, you know, I still ate meat, but I kind of didn't know, you know, the science behind it. But then it goes on to show that white oak pastures is actually sequestering more carbon than their cows emit. And that's, that was kind of like a period of stop. And I was like, whoa, you know, I've never heard this. Let's, let's look into that. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a scientist. I don't, I don't know all the, all the facts behind it, but you know, it's, you can see it, you know, within the ground, there's evidence um, between the soil um, and just how everything works. And what captured me was how, you know, they were working with like the natural environment and how the animals, you know, are supposed to live out in pasture eating grass, not, you know, in a cage in some factory somewhere eating God knows what. So logically it just made sense to me. Like that was, that's how things should be. And, you know, the principles behind regenerative farming are, you know, really similar to, you know, how Native Americans lived to just, you know, with nature, not against it. And that's something that just really captured my attention and it still, it still holds my attention. That's just something that stuck out to me and, you know, it caught hold and it hasn't let go since. <laughs> so that really sparked, you know, I was, it lit a fire under me and I was like, I need other people to know about this because I feel like we have such a disconnection with our natural environment. And that's a lot of, you know, our problem with climate change today is we are so disconnected from the ground under our feet. And I think your your film did a really good job. Um, and it's a short documentary. It's only 30 minutes. So uh, you didn't have a whole lot of time to dive into some of the issues, but you did an amazing job of really sharing and 
a, a broad history and Will did a, and his legacy, I think uh, his family legacy really did a, a help to tell that story because one of you talk about something that you didn't know. What I didn't know is that the reason we have the industrial food industry as it we know it today is really because of the war and the need to produce food on a mass scale because of the impacts of, of essentially World War I and World War II. Um, and, and Will said something, I'll, I'll lift another, uh, another quote from your film that I really leaned in on, uh, which was that there really are three things that traditional, uh, what, what, he, what he called the revolution of the food production uh, world being, which was commoditization, industrialization, and centralized production. And that the impacts, while that worked in increasing food production for the world, the yeah. impacts of that fell back on the animals, uh, on the land, and on the, the, the people of rural America. It was articulated so well that yeah, yeah. it drove straight to the point immediately. So congratulations on that. I think you you just really knocked that part of the film out of the ballpark, so to speak. Thank you. Thank you. That means the world to me because that's what, you know, I'm trying to get across because that, you know, it hit me as well because growing up, you know, we're a pretty small farm that we have, but, you know, we are industrialized and that kind of, you know, hit me and I was like, I'm a part of the problem, so to speak. Um, and it's interesting, like I have conversations with my dad, like kind of how, you know, we like we do things on our farm. And I like I was like, what if we did something different? And it's so interesting because there's so many, it's just layers on layers of these things. You know, I can't, I can't fix the world in one day. That's an interesting perspective. I mean, what is, when you have these conversations with your dad and you compare the work of the two farms, how does he react? What's his response? Yeah. So it's, it's so eye-opening um, because it's not some easy fix. Like I can't just say, you know, we should go change everything that you've done for the past, you know, hundred years almost. And we should note that Will has really taken two decades to make the changes yeah. that he's made, right? So it's not a, it's not an instantaneous shift. And nothing is instant. And I feel like that's something that, you know, in today's world where everything is instant, that instant gratification, it's so hard to stop. And, you know, some things take, you know, years to implement. And, you know, having these conversations with my dad, you know, I see, I see both sides because he can't just drop everything and do all these things. He's like, I, I would lose money. And that's a big thing you know, for a lot of people, like a lot of people can't just drop everything. And I had that conversation with Will as well. And he's like, I know, you know, he's, he's realizes, you know, how fortunate that he is that he's able, you know, to utilize all these practices and that he's been, you know, he's had the money to do it. Not every farmer can. Just as a side note, I worked on a small organic and regenerative farm in college too. And, you know, it's, you know, I've seen a lot of different views from where, you know, money comes into play or just the time, the resources. And, you know, just talking to my dad, he has only ever known the industrialized agriculture system and it works and it's profitable. And I get that, you know, like he's 68, he wants to retire someday. So it's not an easy transition, especially when you see that something works because the industrial agricultural system 
it works. Um, you know, you see a lot of yield and not a lot of loss, and that's hard to say no to. Will acknowledges that in the film as well. He says, you know what, it's, yeah. it, it's efficient, it's uh, economical, <laughs> and yeah. it works. It works, and that's hard, you know, for like my dad, you know, that's the way that his dad did it. So why, you know, why would he change now? You know, and it, it makes me sad. Sometimes I'll go home and I'll just like look at our soil and it's sandy. And I'm like, man, we could change that. But <laughs> that's a rabbit hole. You know, I, I like my dad's seen the film. He's very proud. And, you know, I think it was eye opening to him to kind of see this other way of doing things. But, yeah, I feel like there's a respect that he has for it. But he's it's kind of like it's not for me. One of those things. So it's like I can't make you change. I can't make you believe something. That makes sense. And, you know, and I think part of our and I think this is true for so many parts of our society, it is difficult to change. It is difficult to, especially when we're comfortable um, and when things are efficient and economical and they're profitable, it's, yeah. it's, it's hard to, to want to change. I'll bring this question back to you as a filmmaker. Why do you think it's important to create these kind of films and to tell these kind of stories, given that change might be years and years away from where we need them to be. Yeah, I definitely, I feel like I face that a lot of times. And I guess that's kind of a filmmaker's, you know, debacle sometimes is it's like, why, why am I doing this when, you know, it might not matter, but I have to remind myself that, you know, a few, a few people have seen this film, you know, not like hundreds of thousands, but you know, the few people that have seen it, you know, I'll get messages sometimes and it's like, wow, I didn't know that. Or, you know, I've learned so much or, you know, just learning. And I feel like that is why I want to tell this story. You know, if I can just change a few minds, then that's better than nothing. If I sit around, um, you know, I can't change the world in a day. I'm not a politician or a lawmaker, which there's so many, you know, socioeconomic and political reasons why we can't just change. And everything feels so big sometimes and so far away that, you know, it's like, what can I do? And I can farm <laughs> and I can make movies. So I guess that's kind of where I saw an opportunity to make an impact, you know, however big that impact was. Um, you know, I wouldn't be able to talk to you and, you know, people in North Dakota of all places, if I hadn't made this film and even just like the crew that I worked with, they had no idea, you know, some had never been to a farm before. And I think that's just so, so important and so impactful to actually see and be in the environment, you know, whatever that may be. How was the, uh, your crew's reaction to being on a farm for the first time? It was awesome. It was small at most, most times. Um, the few times that we went, it was usually no more than like three or four of us. Um, but I know like one person was from Texas, one from Colorado, um, one from Pennsylvania, I think. So it's interesting, you know, to take people, you know, out into the middle of nowhere, Georgia, and just kind of show them, honestly, Bluffton reminds me a lot of home. So it was kind of showing them, you know, this is how, you know, we live and we grow up and, you know, we're all there. We're all a family. Everybody knows everybody. And yeah, it was just, it was such a fulfilling experience for everyone. Nothing really went wrong. <laughs> that whole, the whole shoot, um, it was really kind of crazy. 
because usually something terrible happens, but it was all just so, it all worked so well, which was really just a great experience for everyone. Now you had been in front of the camera as an actor. Was this your first time behind the camera as, as a director? As a director, yes. I never thought that I would be a director. I never thought that I would do a documentary. Um, here I am directing a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I always thought I would do narratives. I would be a DP and that was going to be it. I was going to go to Atlanta and do whatever, but work you know, on Marvel films, walking dead, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, you know, that's not how life works and I'm glad that it didn't because I'm definitely a lot happier here, but yeah, I had never, this is the first thing I've directed. As a first-time director, what did you learn about the process? What did you learn about your crew and the different positions? What would you share with another person who's about to direct for the first time? Yeah, um, it's so, it's absolutely terrifying, but I have never been more fulfilled and I've learned so, so much. Um, you know, my experience with narrative um, was great, but just switching over to documentary. Uh, I had a professor for two years. Her name was Sadiqa Mojadidi, and she taught me so, so much. I'm so grateful to her. She's our supervising producer. You know, she's she made a film in Afghanistan. She's interviewed members of the Taliban. I have so much respect for her, but she, you know, taught me from the basics just how to write a script for a documentary. I didn't realize documentaries had scripts, but she's like, no, you have to have like a game plan and, you know, you have to figure out what story you're trying to tell and just the whole process of shooting a documentary. And, you know, we shot it, you know, it took two years. So it's a long, it's a long haul, but you know, the finished product is the best, you know, you have to write and rewrite and kill your darlings as they say, but it's been really, really great. Because this was your senior capstone to your college experience, correct? Yes. So I really, a lot of people don't do documentaries, you know, narratives are usually like five to 10 minutes, you know, you have a script, you're done. That's your film. Rural Revival was actually an hour and a half um, on the first cut. And that's really hard to show for our showcase. So we cut it down, we cut it down to an hour, it was still too long. And I was like, I can get it to 30 minutes to be happy. And 30 minutes is actually, it's kind of a terrible time. It's a little too long and it's a little too short um, for most, but that it was, it was a process and we edited, I think it was about a month till, you know, I graduated. So it was a really quick turnaround, but I'm super proud of what we got in that time. It's a great film and, and you did a, a wonderful job of telling the story succinctly and in 30 minutes because you cover a lot of content and, and it touches on a lot of important issues. If there's a reaction or an action that you want your audience to leave with, what would that be? I guess a little bit of both reaction and action, just to kind of be more aware of their surroundings and what they're doing, you know, just a little more conscious of what they're picking up in the grocery store, you know, where'd it come from? How was this animal raised? You know, environments are different. So regenerative agriculture looks different for, you know, where you're from. So kind of just taking into account what does, you know, my region look like and what is it really supposed to look like? I feel like that's really important to, you know, start reconnecting with our environment 
and not as much, you know, how we have, I want to say whitewashed um, a lot of our um, natural resources today. That's a good way of putting it. What is next on the horizon for Katie Bell? You've graduated, you have completed this film. It's in the festival circuit. What do you have your eyes on for the future? That's a good question. I have no idea. And I wish that I did. Um, Right now we're just kind of working, paying the bills. Um, I would love to see this film become longer. Um, That was definitely, you know, the first cut, an hour and a half. Uh, I would love... (laughs) to make it a feature one day. And I would just love to, you know, kind of see it go beyond whatever that looks like more festivals or just more people seeing it. I don't know, but I guess what's next for me is just kind of continuing caring for the environment, I guess, just in my life where I'm at right now in Columbus and just continuing to fight for something I'm passionate about. I could not think of a better way to end the conversation than with a quote like that. <laughs> Katie, it's been a pleasure talking with you. We are thrilled to have World Revival as a part of the festival. I am a personal fan of the film. I think it tells an, a, a really important story that really applies to agriculture here in North Dakota. And I hope that uh, it inspires people to start looking at how to do things differently in the future. So thank yeah. you so much for, for telling the story. Thank you. Thank you for showing it. Human Voices is brought to you by The Human Family, a North Dakota-based 501c3 promoting human rights through film and art. Today's episode was produced, recorded, and mixed by me, Sean Kaufman. Series artwork by Leah Marie Eklund and soundtrack by Peter McIsaac Music. Human Voices is a production of The Human Family. For more information about this series or The Human Family, visit human-family.org.